Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. So this is 1 Corinthians, and it's chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. So if you have your Bibles, do you get it up? And it should be on the screens behind us. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee. <coughs> Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Keep us as connected as possible. But 
um, let me move on to what we're about to, uh, to study together, talk about together, and let me pray for us. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are good, we love you, and we want to commit our lives to you, not everything, to you. And so as we study this word, God, I pray it would come to our hearts. You would speak truth to us, Holy Spirit. And these words will reveal Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Anyone guessed what we're talking about this morning? I can see arms crossed, <laughs> looking at me, giving me eye contact. I've now half an hour of talking about sex and shit. I definitely so you can't you can leave, but um, there is what we are going to talk about here will be half an hour of unpacking what the Bible says, what Paul is speaking about to Corinthians, but it's so much better, more fulfilling, beneficial for you than half an hour in the sun. So you've made a good choice to come and sit here with us. Um, I mean, what we could do this morning is broaden Paul's approach to sexual immorality and make it into all sin and that draws us away from God. We could sensitively dip our toe in the water of teaching about sex, figure it's really uncomfortable and we could retreat to safer ground, but we are not going to do that. If I had a low view of sex, I would do exactly that. If I was more concerned about offending people, breaking taboos, then I definitely be doing that this morning. But I have a high view of sex because God has a high view of sex. I have a high view of marriage that I want to share this morning because God has a high view of marriage. Because it's a picture of Christ and the church. And I have a high view of the Word of God. And the, this morning teaching a foundation about what sex is all about and what it's not. And this is kind of going to be part of it two-part section on what I'm talking about, bad sex. Dave will be talking about this next week about good sex. So you may kind of come away from here and be like, oh, I just, I've caught some of it, but you must come back next week to understand the fullness of the theology of sex in these, um, in these, these verses. Um, there will be many people here who have sexual sin in their past, and I am one of them. And if you're a Christian, and you have repented of that sin, brought it to God, let me tell you, you are forgiven. The Bible Hebrews tells us that God remembers our sin no more. And the devil this morning may lie to you, and he may try and recatch you in that sin. Please remember, God's grace covers it. You are not to be condemned this morning. You are not to feel a sense of judgment this morning. That is not why I'm preaching. You are completely forgiven if you are so sorry. Sin. If you're listening today and you're currently living with sexual sin in your life, I imagine you'll find today pretty difficult. But there is one to whom we can bring that in repentance. His name is Jesus, and it is a wonderful time for you to respond this morning. And I'm praying that God's word cuts you to your heart. I'm praying that you are led to Jesus, his forgiveness, and his pure, unadulterated love. Whether or not you're a Christian this morning, let me tell you, God has such a high view of sex. He designed our bodies to enjoy sex. He uh, designed sex and he thinks it is great. And there's a book in the middle of our Bibles that is all about sex. 
so on and over, and you can't get married, and he will not read it until he is married. And it's called the Song of Songs. This morning I want to break off to blues, and I want to kick the mistress out of bed. She's a connecting mistress. I hope to bring purity back into the church by speaking on this this morning, and by contending with the false arguments in the city. I've got a box props this morning. They're actually hidden because some of them you'd be like, why is that in the box? The first one is a lighter and a candle. You see, sex in the right place is like fire. It is a thing of beauty. It's a thing that is expensive and something that is wonderful. Yet if you, I'm not going to do this much because I'm going to burn the place down. If I was to set something alight with that candle, take it out of the confines of the candle, out of the fireplace, shall we say, it becomes a destructive thing. It becomes a dangerous thing. If you see where I'm going, that sex within the parameters of marriage is a wonderful thing, a thing of beauty, and that's where it should stay. Because outside of it, it is a dangerous thing. Um, a second analogy is one that I haven't thought of myself, but it's an amazing analogy, and I loved it, and so I'd like to share it this morning. The sex is a little bit like this bottle of 2011 Chateau Neuf de Pan. Anyone heard of this wine? This is a fine and expensive wine. There's some professional in the back, not in And this is expensive, this is exclusive. The winemaker knew what he was doing when he made this. And it is to be enjoyed properly. On the contrary, this bottle of alcohol, the same thing, the same physiological effects, gets you drunk, is cheap. It is nasty, it is filthy. Sorry, if you work for white ice, sorry. And my point being, that we have cheapened sex if we take it outside of marriage. Take it outside of what God intended, this beautiful, intimate place. No said, not white. White ice. Right here, no said. Um, you see what I'm talking about here? You see the illustrations I'm making. The book of the Bible, as I referred to before, some of the songs you've written at the start of Solomon's life. It contains foreplay, love at first sight, it contains orgasm, it contains kind of sex in the marriage bed. And you read it and you see God in a high view of sex. Solomon, that was his first wife. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And that, I mean, if you work that out, that is nearly a different person to sex with for nearly three years. He had a lot of sex, and at the end of his life, he writes a book called Ecclesiastes, and in which he says, I've tried everything. I've tried kind of royalty and power, I've tried um, understanding and building a temple, I've tried sex with a thousand different women. Meaningless. Meaningless. He had all that sex, and still said, it is meaningless. I'm not saying he's a modern day Solomon, but Robin Williams is someone in uh, the end of concerts, women would just throw themselves to him. And he says, 
and to frame it in a quote from one of his autobiographies. He says, um, along with soulless sex comes self-hatred. He didn't just say it's meaningless. He said, I hate myself because of it. So, there's a little introduction. It's worth listening to the next 20 minutes or so as we look at what Paul is saying in Corinth and for us, how do we keep this high view of sex? To Corinthianize actually was a verb used synonymously with the sexually perverts. And the book we're looking at, 1 Corinthians, is kind of a flow of letters that Paul has with his church in Corinth. And we just now this book, 1 Corinthians, to be the second letter. And what's happened, he's written a first letter, and they've written it back. And when we see speech marks in our text, that is him, but that's the Corinthians quote like Paul Sorry, where he is writing using speech marks, it's Paul saying, This is your argument. We understand that that was in their first letter to him. And so, as we see that, and it's seen that reference, keep in mind that he's just come from a section where he's talking about expelling the immoral believer. He's saying, Keep the church pure, keep the, the yeast of society away from the culture of the church. The second thing that's really important to know, a bit of context to that, is about slaves. Corinth, you walk up and down the high street and there would be slave markets where you could get your wallet out and buy someone to serve you. It's not like that. It's not so obvious in Leeds. You can't walk down Britain and buy a slave. But that, as they read these words, or they hear the Corinthians hear Paul speaking, they understand, right, slavery, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Hold that in your mind. And the third thing to understand in the context of the city is Corinth is in Greece. And Greece has a culture of thinking that says the soul, the spirit, is good. The body, the physical, is bad. And the people in the city are totally influenced by this way of thinking. Uh, but he says, as Christians, you become a believer, you want to totally change your worldview. Totally change it. That the body is good. That in fact, not only is the body good, but Jesus, God incarnate, comes and dwells within a body. What a powerful way of Paul speaking to the Corinthians to re emphasize the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. And he writes them not just to iron out practices, so I, and to get everything right. He, he isn't just focused on that. Please hear me. I'm not just talking about rules this morning. I'm talking about total change of worldview for those of us who are in Christ. Um, society's changed in the last 30 years, hasn't it? Society is different. The cultural norms of 30 years ago in the UK are different from the cultural norms now. I read this last week that in uh, 1981 when Charles and Diana were about to get married, Diana's uncle had to stand up and publicly declare that his niece, Diana, was a virgin. Did you know that? Incredible. No one back tonight know today, Kate and William, who have been cohabiting throughout their relationship. Society has changed. And so the new normals of today are oh, increasing cohabitation, are oh, sex um, within relationships frequently. 
and there are lots of babies born out of wedlock. These are the norms of society. And what do you know what else is a norm of society? That celibacy is abnormal. I used to work at a high school just up the road and I had to deliver lessons on sex education. And they're incredibly revealing for me to understand what culture, youth culture is like as we dialogue about sex and relationships. And I try and put over some of the biblical understanding of what we think um, sex is about. But I hear that from them. And they would ask me questions. And as I wasn't a teacher, so I didn't feel I had a, um, a huge barrier between me and the children. So I would answer some of the questions. And when they found out when I got married at 22 hours a virgin, they looked at me as if I was an alien. And this is 14, 15 year olds. It is a new norm of society. So to be holy believes in 2013, it is different. It is difficult. It is a challenge. And even within your marriages, to uphold a holy and godly relationship, for those of you in your 40s, your 50s, and 60s, you will have more and more friends who are single, who are sexually promiscuous. That is what the stats have shown over the last 30 years. It's not just the 20s and the 30s. It's also the teens and also those in their 40s, 50s, nearly the 60s. So listen, Christ is magnified so great by your holiness in this city. But standing out, you, you do look means standing your ground means you stand out more. So we look at four arguments that the Corinthian church were using to justify their sexual immorality. We're going to work through those. We're going to look at Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit and then we're going to just touch on how we are to flee sexual immorality. Here's the four arguments. Number one, I can do anything I want. Number two, it's a natural desire. Number three, it doesn't do anyone any harm. And number four, it's my body. So verse 12, everything is permissible for me, Paul is quoting the Corinthians. Not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Everything is permissible. Everything is lawful. It's, it's fine. Sex is lawful. It's not illegal to have sex for when you are over 16. But so is eating a supersized meal from McDonald's. That's, that's permissible. That's lawful. As is eating one meal every uh, meal for 30 days. And as Morgan Spurlock found out in the film Supersize, anyone seen it? Yeah. It's not beneficial. He got fat, he got ill, he got moody, he got unbalanced over those 30 days. His health was seriously compromised physically and mentally. It's not beneficial. And as is two adults having sex, it is completely and utterly illegal in this country. But is sleeping with your best friend's girlfriend or boyfriend, is that beneficial? No, of course it's not. The argument is the argument to um, Paul shows they completely misunderstood grace. They completely misunderstood what it was for to be saved, to be righteous, to be that there was freedom in this grace of God. But they took it too far. 
they then began to exhibit what we understand as licentious behaviour. That I have a license to do whatever I want because God will forgive me. It's not true. Your righteousness, yes, is not dependent if you're a Christian on what you do. It's on him, it's in Jesus. But still, you must take the good care of what you do. Um, read Paul is, is legal. Yet, Paul's second part of this argument is rebuffing. He uses the phrase, I will not be mastered by anything. And in our culture, Paul has become a norm. And in the church, there are those of whom who look or read or watch. And I just want to make a point of saying today, if you are mastered by pornography, today you can have freedom. Today you can come to Jesus and have freedom. Second argument, Paul said that, Paul is quoting them again, food for the stomach, verse 13, and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. The body is, meant, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Their argument here is something along the lines of, I am a carnal creature. I am an animal, and I can satisfy my desires. I'm a highly evolved animal, so I can itch, scratch it. I'm hungry, I have a suicide meal. I am thirsty, I have a drink. I want to have sex, I go and sleep with And they've got it wrong. There's a song called Bad Touch, and I didn't know the name of the song until I checked the book out recently. It was by um, a band that, um, called Bloodhound Gang. It came out when I was at school. And his lyrics are from a guy to his baby, from which I interpret wisely. Not his child, but his girlfriend. <laughs> Well, certainly he's the lady he's interested in romantically. And he says, in order to romance her, he, he, says, he says these words, but it's less of a love song, more of a lust song. He says, you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it how we do on the Discovery Channel. You understand what I say? You can picture the image that it's evoking. And I watched this performance of the band on YouTube. It's a live gig in Germany. And there were hundreds and hundreds of guys and girls singing along. They broke my heart. They were singing that they're just animals. Just animals. The Bible tells us we are more than that. As people, as humans, we are image bearers of God. That's what Genesis tells us. That man will be made in the image of God. We are not animals. And, uh, and our behaviour is to reflect this loving, righteous, pure and holy God, not a carnal creature who's just flesh and blood. Your body, Paul says, is meant for the Lord, not for sexual immorality. Therefore, today, if you are, as I talk, you're becoming increasingly more uncomfortable as I talk about sexual immorality, let me tell you, There's a chance today to bring all these things to God, to confess. Um, if you see yourselves like you, the Corinthians saw themselves, it will mean that as you view yourself as a highly evolved animal, not an image bearer of God, that you see men, you see women for less 
sexual image bearers of God, you see them as animals who are fulfilling your sexual fantasies. It'll mean you'll, you'll dehumanize women. It'll mean when you look at porn, you dissociate them. And as women you are lusting over, they have no other value than gratifying your own desires. Paul saying it's wrong. It's wrong. Flee from it, he said. Flee. It is cheap side. Flee. It means when your friends speak about women, you're just not bothered when they talk about them like pieces of meat. Flee. It's cheap side. It's bad sex. And women, if you see yourself like a highly evolved animal, it means that you won't complain on entry level. That you are not an outlet for a calm desire. You are a beautiful, pure image bearer of God. Your, your body is meant for the Lord, not for your boyfriend. Take a breath. Okay, coming through. Coming through. I appreciate this argument as they would have it there in Corinth, you know, the halls of which they met in church, that the people would be shocked. The people would, would feel, oh, this is too difficult. They have a totally different culture, but still, the word of God comes and cuts deep. Third argument, it doesn't involve anybody else. We hear this all the time in our culture, right? But this is a common kind of phrase or understanding that we have here in Leeds. We both love each other, we both kind of are consenting to this, no one is being abused. Well, here's my next analogy. When I was um, 12 months ago to the day, 14th July 2012, I was at a wedding and Steve Warner was giving a talk at. And he'd written all over a blue piece of paper signifying the husband, all these brilliant attributes of who he was. And he'd written all over a pink piece of paper of the wife and who she was. And he says, When you become one flesh, I read it, that's what Paul is saying. He's, he's quoting Genesis, to become one flesh. He's saying it does affect other people. Sex does affect you. Because they become one flesh. Somehow it's a mystery, we don't fully understand it, how you know, sex becomes, you become one flesh on a spiritual level, not just a physical level. But this is what happens when you have sex and then you tear. You have sex with someone else and you stick and you tear and you stick and you tear. It does affect you, without doubt. When they say it doesn't affect anyone else, also no it does. No it does. Fourth argument, they say, it's my body back off. Verse 18 to 20, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a man commits outside his body, outside his body. but he who sins against, uh, such as he sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Who you have received from God? You are not your own, you were brought to Christ, therefore the God with your body. In an individualistic culture where liberty is understood to be able to do whatever you want with your body, freedom is getting to do what I want with my body. That's what culture would say. Paul is saying no, that's not true. And misunderstood what true freedom is. You've been bought at price. If you're a Christian today, as I speak these words, let it wash over you like beautiful rainwater. Remember, I mentioned a um, colleague from the slave market who got you to evoke uh, an image of a slave market in Brugge. Well, everyone in Corinth, was, it was hoped that two of them would understand this, understood the slave market that happened, that they would be brought at 
Christ and they will be part of the, kind of the servanthood of the person that we're brought from. And the Bible talks about us being slaves to sin. Yet we are bought by Jesus and his blood. Jesus, our master, dies for us so we might live. Jesus, our master, is tired so that we may no longer be bound in sin. Jesus, our master, he's abandoned on the cross, abandoned by his Father, so that we can be found by our Father. Jesus, our master's blood, is poured out so that we can be grafted into him. The most powerful story in the Bible, I think, of um, rescue is the exodus of the people of Israel in Egypt. I don't know if you know the story, um, I'll try and retell it briefly, but there are these people in Israelites, they are under the rule of the Egyptians, they are their slaves, and they, God raises up Moses and Aaron alongside him and said, you are going to go to Pharaoh, the ruler, and you're going to get the people out. You're going to see them come out from under their captives into the promised land. So are you ready, Moses? Are you ready? And the night of Passover, they're told to cover their, their um, doorposts in the blood of the Lamb, and, and there is death throughout Egypt for every firstborn of Egyptian family. Those who are not covered by the blood of the Lamb. And off they go. Moses and his people, they leave. They get to the water of the Red Sea. And Moses sticks his staff in the ground and walks past. And he, him and all the other men and women and children and carts and donkeys and whatever else they have with them come through the middle of the waters. And as they look back, they can see the, the Egyptians coming after them and they get to the edge of the water and the, water, the walls are up and the Israelites on the other side. The captives come into the water and God destroys them. He destroys their captors. They have freedom on the other side. And if you're a believer in Jesus, the same is true for you. You can have freedom from all the captors of your past because of the blood of Jesus. It doesn't always happen in an instant. It takes time. Yet you were bought at a price. It cost God a lot. And he was willing to pay for it because he loves you. And this love changes our hearts. And if today you've been trying to live in a certain way for a certain standard, most likely you've been feeling pretty bad as I've been talking. Jesus has got something to say to you today. He says, come to me. Let me show you more of myself. Let me free you from your shame. Let me cleanse you of your guilt. Let me fill you again with my Holy Spirit. I tell you, your burden of sin, as far as the east, is from the west. And I call you friend. If you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, let me be very clear. There is no way that your behaviour, your good deeds, can be your saviour. That is Jesus. And so when you consider your life at the moment, um, and I, I talk about this Jesus, or you know your friends who love him and follow him, this morning Jesus says to you, I offer you life. I offer you forgiveness, I offer you restoration of honour when you feel shamed. I offer you freedom from feelings of guilt. I offer you a clean slate, but not of your own making, but my sacrifice. Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, 
Jesus says, come on here, come to me. And this morning, you can do that. As we continue to worship, spread around, you can come with Jesus, bring everything to him, and he'll take you just as you are. You need not be a good person to come to Jesus. My final, um, final analogy, These are my morning trains. I've not done the least MK this morning, um, but these are my morning trains. And Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Okay? Joseph in Egypt, he was seduced by Potiphar's wife. I imagine she was a very good looking woman who wanted him as an animal. My youth leader called her a psycho hose beast. Who's that man? And we are to, guys, we are to watch Psycho Alpha, Psycho Hope Beasts, and we are to make sure we have our running trains. Not literally, although well, I think it would help, but the idea we are to flee, that the word flee is a battle word. It means that on a, in a battle, if you were to need to retreat, flee from the enemy, you put your whole effort into running away. Redrawing the battle lines, setting up again for the next part of the it's the same thing for us as we deal with our sin. To flee is to ruthlessly run from. And how do we how do we do this? How how can we be equipped? How can if you're finding sexual sin in your life right now, really hard to fight, really hard to flee from? Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is in you. We read that in verse 19. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14. He calls him another counselor. God, to explain this, I need to explain you another thing, because Jesus is the first counselor. A counselor is someone who stands, the word paraclete, I haven't got it on the uh, screen, it's a Greek word, paraclete, compound word, para and kletos, para, to stand alongside, kletos, to advocate, to argue, to, to present an argument. Put them together, you've got Jesus standing alongside of us, Arguing to the Father in heaven for our sin. Holy Spirit, another counselor, another paraclete, standing alongside, living in and arguing against, not the Father, because Jesus argues against the Father, folks, arguing against ourselves. Why? Because our flesh wants the things we should not want. Our flesh is not always wanting to be holy, yet the Holy Spirit indwells us argues against our flesh. So if you want to know what it is to flee, you know what it is to really wear your running trainers at all times, then allow the Spirit to come in. Develop a relationship with Him so that you can hear Him speak to you. You can hear Him draw you to Himself. He's a divine person, Holy Spirit, living in the middle of your life, if you're a Christian. Welcome Him in every day. We'll get a chance now as we worship and pray to respond to that.